You know, it's not that the American news media is a flaming dumpster filled with unintelligent incompetence, so primed by their second-rate educations with anti-American hatred and a love of socialism, which forces them to ignore the very facts they're supposed to gather and instead to wallow in their own ugly disdain for the high ideas and ordinary people who've made this country great, that it seems like every time journalists open their mouths, they're spewing a sort of green bile made of some unholy mixture of ignorance and hostility until the bile grows so thick and deep around them, they begin to sink into it up to their noses, whereupon they're actually both vomiting the filthy stuff and breathing it in at the same time, like a sort of perpetual motion machine of absolute awfulness. Wait, maybe it is that. But the point is, journalists are not happy that the president's daily press briefings are, one, getting better ratings than all of CNN's good days since 1983 added together, and two, increasing Trump's popularity when he represents the very values journalists despise, like freedom, patriotism, common decency, love of God. So various news outlets are planning measures to ensure that no one will be able to watch the briefings without simultaneously absorbing a gigantic loogie of seething animosity, or as it's sometimes called, Chuck Todd. For instance, CNN, which is currently that lonely voice you hear echoing through empty airports, simply won't cover the briefings because they feel what the president and his medical staff have to say during a pandemic isn't really news compared to Don Lemon staring soulfully into a camera like a stuffed moose, only stupid. The New York Times, a former newspaper, will continue to cover the briefings, but will only report those portions that increase fear and make the president look bad. And of course, NBC has rehired Matt Lauer to cover the briefings, because sometimes there are girls there, so who knows, he might get lucky. Trigger warning, I'm Andrew Clavin, and this is The Andrew Clavin Show. Life is tickety-boo. Birds are winging, also singing. Hunky-dunky-dee-doo. Ship-shaped, ipsy-topsy. The world is a bitty zing. It's a wonderful day. Hurrah, hooray! It makes me want to sing. Oh, hurrah, hooray. Oh, hooray, hurrah. Well, I always tell you that I deliver tomorrow's news today, and if you were fool enough not to believe me, all you had to do was listen to yesterday's presidential briefing where government flu fighter Dr. Anthony Fauci tried to explain to reporters how computer modeling works, which is sort of like trying to explain astrophysics to a desk lamp. However, he spoke very clearly and very well, and in doing so, he could almost have been quoting what I've been telling you for the past couple of weeks. I'll play the clip for you now, and for those of you who are trying to earn your black belt in the ancient art of Clavinati, try, try, to spot, try to spot the one phrase that caught my attention as an important piece of wisdom to have when you're listening to predictions. What we do is that every time we get more data, you feed it back in and relook at the model. Is the model really telling you what's actually going on? And again, I know my modeling colleagues are going to not be happy with me, but models are as good as the assumptions you put into them. And as we get more data, then you put it in and that might change. So that's what I've been telling you about modeling for two weeks, right? That they don't that what they predict is what would happen if yesterday continues to happen forever. They don't really predict anything, anything else. The phrase that gives you an important piece of wisdom going forward is this one. I know my modeling colleagues are not going to be happy with me. The full sentence was, I know my modeling colleagues are not going to be happy with me, but models are as good as the assumptions you put into them. So think about that. Think about the psychology of that. Why would modelers not be happy to hear what any 10-year-old geek could tell them? Garbage in, garbage out. 
They're unhappy because like just about everybody who thinks he can predict the future of a complex, non-repetitive event, they have a system and they think the system can do what everyone knows no system can do, namely predict the future of a complex, non-repetitive event. People are irrational. Experts are irrational. Irrationality from experts is even more irrational because they know more, but it's just the same. They don't know what's going to happen with this virus. They don't know what's going to happen with the climate. Yesterday, the Federal Reserve predicted there'll be unemployment higher than the Great Depression. They don't know that. Fauci is a good guy to listen to on the numbers because like me and Socrates, he knows he doesn't know. He's just sharing what he's got so far. And he keeps explaining that. But the people not to listen to are the journalists who report what he explains as if it were an actual prediction, which it's not. And and you shouldn't listen to the modelers who are unhappy when people point out their models are just predictions with computers attached and they're not really very trustworthy. They get more trustworthy as they go forward because they're predicting things that have already happened. This is a worrying time. No one blames you if you're worried. Everybody's a little worried. You might be worried about your health. You might be worried about your job, the economy. And most importantly, you might be worried about me because we have to save the Clavin. But don't be worried about bad reporters saying stupid things about flawed computer models. Stay safe and let's hope our leaders don't destroy the country and the economy on the word of people who are absolutely certain they know what they can't possibly know. All right. Let us talk about meat. Meat. You're sitting at home. You got to have meat delivered. We all have to have stuff delivered. You want good, terrific meat delivered. You got to go to Fairway. Fairway is a family owned grocery chain that's been in business since 1938. Fairway's premium beef and all natural pork is raised by family farmers and hand cut by a highly experienced team of Fairway butchers. And let me tell you, I don't care. I just know it tastes terrific. I don't care. I don't care how they make it as long as it's actual meat. It is. It is absolutely terrific. Certified D-U-R-O-C. Duroc Heritage Pork is crafted in small batches by Midwest Family Farms, making it the most succulent pork you have ever tasted. It's great. It really is. So visit fairwaymeatmarket.com and so select your favorite meat products. Fairwaymeatmarket.com allows free access to the best recipes and cooking tips so your friends and family have a meal they won't forget. And this week, my listeners can get the Heartland Package valued at 230 bucks for just 99 point 99 point 99.99 it's 100 bucks for a 230 buck deal plus free shipping when entering Claven at checkout the heartland package includes eight eight ounce all natural duroc boneless pork chops six eight ounce usda choice ribeye steaks one mouth-watering side dish loaded potato bake gourmet cheesy corn or brisket baked beans that's more than 50 percent off the best meat in america plus free shipping that's fairwaymeatmarket.com promo code clavin and look for the heartland package again that's fairwaymeatmarket.com promo code clavin and look for the heartland package also look for how to spell clavin you need to know that because otherwise you get no meat. It's We have the mailbag coming later. All your problems. <laughs> all your problems. Will, maybe not all your problems will be solved. All the problems that I'm capable of solving uh, will be solved. So, uh, look, it seems like we're going into the worst of this. We're going into the whirlwind. This is when the numbers are going to peak. Uh, President Trump was telling breaking into the country yesterday. This is cut uh, five. I want every American to be prepared for the hard days that lie ahead. We're going to go through a very tough two weeks. And then hopefully, as the experts are predicting, as I think a lot of us are predicting after having studied it so hard, you're going to start seeing some real light at the end of the tunnel. But this is going to be a very painful, very, very painful two weeks. 
when you look and see at night the kind of death that's been caused by this invisible enemy, it's it's incredible. It is, you know, it's the numbers are, are bad. The things that are happening, especially in places like New York, uh, are bad and we're going to be affected by it. But a lot of what you're going to be doing in these uh, times is you're going to be managing anxiety. You're going to be managing expectations. Really important in doing that to know how to listen to the news. And I hit the news all the time because they're corrupt and their corruption has to do with the fact that they all believe the same thing and they surround themselves with people who believe the same thing and they don't believe what Americans believe and they don't care about the Americans who don't agree with them. I hit them on that corruption, but I also want to hit them on their incompetence. They're not very good at what they do. I mean, they just, they should, the people they should be sending to these briefings are medical reporters and business reporters, not gotcha Donald Trump reporters. They should be sending somebody who at least knows what a computer model is and how it works, who knows about disease, who knows about business so they can do cost uh, analysis and say, well, you know, are we taking the right measures uh, or are, is the cure going to be worse than the disease? That's a perfectly fair question. Instead, we've got these guys asking absolutely stupid questions and reporting things badly. And I really want to take a close look at that to help manage your uh, anxieties and expectations. All right. So let me show you what I'm talking about, about the way this works. Uh, Jim, look at me. I'm Jim Acosta. It was basically a waste of space. I mean, the guy is, should not be on television. He's not good at what he does. He's an incompetent and he's not very intelligent and he confuses his opinions with the news. And I assume that's what CNN wants him to do. And that means they're incompetent and they're corrupt. So uh, Jim, look at me. I'm Jim Acosta asks Fauci a question about the numbers of, of deaths he's now expecting. Uh, now, listen carefully to the exchange. I'll talk about it afterwards. It's cut eight. Dr. Fauci, should Americans be prepared for the likelihood that there will be 100,000 Americans who die from this virus? The, the answer is yes. We need as, as, as sobering a number as that is, we should be prepared for it. Is it going to be that much? I hope not. And I think the more we push on the mitigation, the less likelihood it would be that number. But as being realistic, we need to prepare ourselves that that is a possibility that that's what we will see. All right. The question is, should we be prepared for 100,000 and more deaths, 100,000 to 200,000 deaths? Should we be prepared? Should our hearts be prepared? Should we be steeled for that? And he's saying, yes, he's trying to let us know that we're going into the peak. We're going into the whirlwind. This is the time we have to be prepared. I mean, if I if I said, you know, we're going over the top, we're going to charge the, the enemy guns. You've got to be prepared for what's going to happen. That's a, a perfectly fair response. Here's how it was reported by the the worst network, which is NBC News. This is Lester Holt. This is cut two. Uh, how it was reported to Lester Holt. Um, on NBC. As the administration considers next steps, the White House is now projecting that the country could see between 100,000 to 240,000 deaths resulting from this pandemic. That's a best case scenario, underscoring the stark reality of this crisis. Lester? Still can't wrap my, my mind around those numbers, but thank you, Jeff. <laughs> That's the best case scenario. So Fauci comes in and says, yes, we should be prepared for that. I hope it's not going to be that bad. And he's talked about the modeling when he was talking about the modeling, the cut I played in the opening. He, what he was saying was, as we go, this is what the model says right now. But remember, the model has come down. Pardon me. 
It's come down from two and a half million. They started at two and a half million. Now they're down to 100,000 to, to 240,000. Worst case scenario on NBC, they're reporting is the best case scenario. Acosta brings it back to CNN. And this is the way he's talking about it. It was cut 22. In the seven years I have covered the White House, uh, that is the most stunning uh, briefing that I've ever sat through uh, to have public health officials come in and, and try to explain to the American people that they need to come to grips with the fact uh, or the very uh, strong likelihood that we're going to see 100 to 200,000 Americans die over the next couple of months from the coronavirus. Uh, I have to tell you, it, it was just downright chilling. It's like facts being translated into news, right? <laughs> facts being translated into news that, that, that this is the likelihood. That's not what Fauci said. He said, you have to be prepared for the worst. And this is what the worst, what, what the models are saying now. And he goes on to say, we're trying to bring this down. We are trying. This is this is what we're doing. We're trying to bring this number down. So is it stupidity or is it corruption or both? It's both. It's corruption because there's nobody there to correct them. There's nobody there to question them. There's just people who listen to what they bring back. And, and nobody says, well, wait, I heard that too and you're you're rejiggering the numbers and it's stupidity because they don't understand what's being said and they're not being careful in reporting it. I mean, what do they think is happening to people at home? You know, what do they think is happening to to people who are just getting their information? I mean, anybody who's getting their information from CNN is a low information person to begin with. But what do they think is happening to people? That people are worried, people are sick, people have relatives who are sick, friends who are sick. You know, they have a responsibility to interpret the numbers as the numbers are coming to them and they're not doing that. On top of which, on top of which, they have been badgering and badgering and badgering Donald Trump to to be depressed, to be fearful, to spread fear, to spread worst case scenarios. They keep accusing him of giving people false hope. They do it again and again and again. Acosta, Jim, look at me. I'm Jim Acosta. Did it at the briefing. And Trump's response was very telling. This is cut 16. Is there any fairness to the criticism that you may have lulled Americans into a false sense of security when you were saying things like it's going to go away well, it is. and that sort of thing? But Jim, it's going away. But when you were saying it's going to go away, hopefully at the end of the month. And if not, it hopefully will be soon after that. But has no, it your is thinking going, on this evolved? Jim, it is going away. Hasn't your thinking on this evolved? You're taking it more seriously now. I think from the beginning, uh, my attitude was that we have to give this country. I know how bad it was. All you have to do is look at what was going on in China. It was devastation. I'm not about bad news. I want to give people hope. I want to give people a feeling that we all have a chance. <laughs> it's, a, it's a pretty simple answer. It is the guy he is. It is who Trump is. It is the person who came in and made the economy as great as it was until this crisis. It was because he injects animal spirits into business. It's because he's a businessman. It's because he knows how to do this stuff. So we're seeing a news media that hears wrongly and then it reports wrongly and then it makes moral judgments on their wrong hearing and reporting. So that's uh, that's almost leftism in a nutshell. Right. I just want to play one more clip before I comment on this. This is now Acosta talking about how the president gets it now because he's being uh, he's giving number. He's saying this is the worst. This is the worst time. So let's cut 23. I've never seen President Trump like this. I know people might say, well, I, you know, I can't I can't ever trust him. Uh, he, he's a he's a phony and so on. People may say that. But Anderson, I have to tell you, sitting in that room that close to him, I've never seen President Trump like this. And I think to some extent he is he is scared right now, Anderson. And I and we could all feel that in the room. And I've been you and I have been, uh, you know, uh, pretty critical of him from time to time. Yeah. This was a different Donald Trump tonight. I think he gets it.
CNN sucks. <laughs> Jim, Jim Acosta, really, he should, he, you know, I mean, I, I don't want to say what he should be doing because I don't want to insult some other profession, you know. <laughs> I don't want to say he should be, I just off the top of my head, selling shoes because there are many, many good, competent shoe salesmen and we need them and they do a great job. And I wouldn't want Jim Acosta doing that either. But I mean, the guy, the, this is this is irrationalism. It's fear mongering. It is basically putting forward a narrative. I mean, this is the left in a nutshell, right? They put forward a narrative. And if you violate that narrative, they accuse you on the basis of the narrative. So, for instance, let me just give you an example. There's a white candidate and a black candidate. You make a judgment that the white candidate is more competent and you vote for him. And they say, well, you're, you're a bigot. You know, you're against black people when you weren't even thinking about that. They impose their narrative. So their narrative is worst case scenario. Everybody should be afraid. Everybody should panic. And, and we should act as if everything is worthy of panic. And when the president injects hope, he says, I know it's bad. Look, I mean, we all we all know it ain't good, right? And I mean, nobody's sitting around going, ah, nothing, nothing like a really bad virus to get you going in the morning. Nobody's saying that. So there is no there is no person who's saying that. But when when he says, gives them the bad numbers, says this is the worst case scenario, then, oh, now he gets it. Now he gets it. And it really is this kind of rolling, rolling dishonesty. Now, the thing is, I don't want to play this down because the word from the front lines, the word from the hospitals is things are bad. Doctors are scared. Nurses are scared. The disease, when it hits and when it's bad, is nasty. It's a nasty disease. But you have to have some kind of context, right? In Sweden, for for instance, you know, and this is an important thing because people talk as if everything is only happening here, but everybody is shut down except Sweden. Sweden has said, no, we're not going to shut down. We're going to let the virus spread. It's going to spread eventually anyway. Let's let everybody get it. And, and have it all happen now and not destroy our economy. The doctors in Sweden are going absolutely bats. They're going, so to speak, Wuhan, Wuhan bats they're going. And the doctors are saying, no, this is you're leading us into catastrophe. We're going to find out. We are going to find out because nobody knows. Nobody has the numbers. We don't have the number, for instance. We don't know how many people are dying because we don't know how many people are infected. So we can't divide the number of people dying into the number of people infected. We don't know what the rate is, okay? There's also the context of the fact that, you know, they say, they say look, flattening the curve is not going to stop people from dying. They'll die eventually. But 100% of people will die eventually. <laughs> So keeping them alive for a while is a good thing, right? And of course, you know, when you look at uh, the people, you know, about 1,800 people a day die of heart disease. And a lot of that is caused by bad behavior, by obesity, uh, by smoking, by things that people do that they should, by not exercising, things that people do. We don't give the government the right to force them to do those things because we understand people make choices. Eventually, people are going to have to make choices with this, too. I actually have been watching them, these briefings and I, I feel like, yeah, the government is probably doing the right thing for now, but it's going to have to let up eventually, right? It's going to have to let up eventually. The news media wants to keep this going. And the news media, again, it's not just corruption. It's also stupidity. They also do not know what they're talking about or how to report the news. However, we know here, and so that's why we are going to tell you about ZipRecruiter. Now, I always joke about ZipRecruiter. <laughs> I always joke that we've hired all these incompetent people. And of course, that's, I mean, you can tell that's true. You're listening to, you know, if you've listened to Knowles and all that, you know, you know, that's obviously true. But 
but the fact is, this is a bad time. This is a time when small businesses especially are struggling. This is the time when you've got to hire well. This is the time when you've got to make sure everything is running efficiently. ZipRecruiter does the job for you. ZipRecruiter makes hiring great people faster and easier. And for the sake of the economy, you got to try ZipRecruiter for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash Clavin. ZipRecruiter sends your job to over 100 of the web's leading job sites, but they don't stop there with their powerful matching technology. ZipRecruiter scans thousands of resumes to find people with the right experience and invite them to apply to your job. They bring them in or invite them in, and you can even add screening questions to your job listing so you can filter candidates and focus on the best ones. ZipRecruiter is so effective that four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. And right now, to try ZipRecruiter for free, my listeners can go to ZipRecruiter dot com slash Claven. Anyone who passed elementary school can spell ZipRecruiter, <laughs> but you have to know how to spell Claven. You are too smart to be acting this dumb. <laughs> I just make it look that easy at ZipRecruiter.com slash K-L-A-V-A-N. ZipRecruiter.com slash Claven. ZipRecruiter is the smartest way to Tired. You know, my my commercials are really entertaining. You know, you shouldn't turn off the commercials. <laughs> All right. So here's the thing we're learning. You know, Trump said yesterday, Trump had said earlier uh, that this is just a flu. Everyone at some point said this is just the flu. And yesterday he said, no, it's not. This is cut seven. A lot of people have said a lot of people have thought about it. Write it out. Don't do anything. Just write it out and think of it as the flu. But it's not the flu. It's vicious. When you send a friend to the hospital and you call up to find out how is he doing, it happened to me, where he goes to the hospital, he says goodbye, he's sort of a tough guy, uh, a little older, a little heavier than he'd like to be, frankly. And you call up the next day, how's he doing? And he's in a coma. This is not the flu. Yeah. And so when, it, when it's bad, it's really bad. And this is the thing you don't know. And obviously... Like, like I said, I think eventually young people are going to go back to work, then middle-aged people, then older people, then really old people, then people who are just like on their last legs. And finally, when it's safe, I'll come out because one person we have to keep alive through this is me. So, so Joe Scarborough said this, and this is a meme that is now going around. It's just become a drumbeat on the left. There's cut four. Now, we, we've heard, Zeke Emanuel, that nobody could have seen this coming. The fact is, everybody saw this coming. Everybody saw this coming in early January. So that ain't true. That's not true. <laughs> it's just not true. The press didn't see it coming. The Washington Post uh, said, get a grip, America. The flu is much bigger threat than coronavirus. The New York Times, who says it's not safe to tra- travel to China? Uh, the Daily Beast coronavirus with zero American fatalities is dominating headlines, while the flu is the real threat. Uh, who else? Vox did, did one. Uh, we saw Nancy Pelosi saying, come to Chinatown. And yeah, Trump too said, you know, we're going to take care of this. Uh, but but Scarborough had a, didn't talk about it at all until I think it was I think it was late January, maybe February, and he brought on an expert saying it's just the flu. He had Bill de Blasio on in March saying everything was was fine. Let's play the de Blasio clip. This is on this is on Joe Scarborough's show. Well, 8.6 million people here. We have 25 cases as of this morning, uh, and we care deeply about each of those individuals, but against the backdrop of 8.6 million people. And for the vast majority of New Yorkers, life is going on pretty normally right now, and we want to encourage that. If you're under 50, 
and you're healthy, which is most New Yorkers, uh, there's very little threat here. This disease, even if you were to get it, basically acts like a common cold or flu. So that's, you know, and you didn't hear Joe Scarborough like jump, you know, lowering himself down like a deus ex machina and saying, wait, wait, don't spread misinformation on my program. No, because nobody knew. You know who saw it coming? Trump mentioned it in his State of the Union address. He said, we're going to work with them. The coronavirus is a threat. That was on February uh, 4th. Right. He saw that that coming. And you'll remember Nancy Pelosi tore up the speech. Steve Mnuchin. Okay, this was in the Wall Street Journal uh, tomorrow. uh, Today This is January 23rd at a World Economic Forum dinner in Davos. Remember the, the where all the great minds and the elites meet to eat in Davos, Switzerland. Treasury Secretary Steven Mnuchin spoke up. It was 45 minutes into a conversation about climate change and trade, and no one had mentioned the most important issue facing the world, he said, the deadly coronavirus spreading across China. So think about that. That's all the smart people in the world who think they're so uh, elite and they really are going to do what's great for everybody and they know the best and they've been talking about globalism and climate change and all the things that really are not that great and don't really matter. That's what they've been talking about. And Steve Mnuchin, the Treasury Secretary, Trump's Treasury Secretary, got up and said, hey, you know, what we really should be talking about is the coronavirus. All the big brains. Tom Cotton talked about it uh, early on. And, you know, Hugh Hewitt had this exchange with Mitch McConnell uh, about Tom Cotton. Listen to this. Let me talk to you a little bit about Senator Cotton. Politico yesterday recognized him as the first to the bell. In your experience in the Senate, was Senator Cotton the first one to say, hey, leader, hey, Mitch, this is a deadly situation I do not trust the Chinese. Was he first? He was first. Uh, I think Tom was right on the mark. And it, it came up while we were you know, tied down in the impeachment trial. And I think it diverted the attention of uh, the government because every everything every day was all about impeachment. But uh, Tom figured this out early, and he was absolutely right. So now Trump says that's not true. Uh, play cut fifteen. We won't talk about that now. Uh, did it divert my attention? I think I'm getting A pluses for the way I handled myself during a phony impeachment. Okay, it was a hoax. But certainly, I guess I thought of it, and um, I think I probably acted. I don't think I would have done any better had I not been impeached, okay? And I think that's a great tribute to something. Maybe it's a tribute to me. I'm a very (laughs) stable genius. I love that. It's a great tribute to something. Maybe it's a tribute to me. That's that's class, Trump. I love that. You know, the, the, the... TV movie, a TV miniseries called The Path to 9-11 by my friend uh, Cyrus Nawasta was roundly attacked by the left. It, it was one of the highest rated TV movies ever to show. And one of the things that it showed, it, it showed a lot of people making a lot of mistakes uh, that led up to the attacks on the World Trade Center on 9-11. One of the mistakes was Bill Clinton had s- multiple chances to kill Osama bin Laden. He had multiple chances. All he had to do was say, take the shot. And he didn't say it because he was so distracted by the Monica Lewinsky affair scandal. And he was afraid he had no political uh, capital to spend. He was afraid if he made a mistake, it would destroy him. And so he didn't do it. They were so the Clintons were so upset about this that they first forced uh, 
they they've lobbied ABC, who were friends of Clinton, the Disney Corporation friends of Clinton. They lobbied them until they had to make cuts and cut some of the incidents out because there were a number of times he had the chance to kill Osama bin Laden, but was distracted. They have never released the DVD. Disney, the Disney Corporation for for the Clintons on behalf of the Clintons is sitting on the path to 9-11. They will not release it. They won't release it. And even now, when Hillary Clinton is out of the ballgame, I don't know what has to happen. Maybe they have to die before they will release the path to 9-11, which shows that Clinton did not take a shot at bin Laden because he was so distracted by the Monica Lewinsky scandal. The Monica Lewinsky scandal was Bill Clinton's fault, right? He was the one who was banging the intern in the Oval Office, in the people's house, when he should have been working, okay? So that was his fault, that there was a scandal about that. In terms of the impeachment, I mean, it it was a hoax. There was no collusion with Russia. The whole th- And they knew it early on, and when they took us through three years almost of absolute nonsense, and these things have consequences. I'm not saying that Trump would have done a better job with this if he hadn't been distracted. But it does, you know, these, there is always a potential crisis happening. There's always a potential crisis happening. And the president has to be able to pay attention to that. And when they impeach you over a phone call you made about the president of the, to the president of the Ukraine, which is nothing, when they spy on you for this Russian hoax, you know, now uh, more than two dozen Federal Bureau of Investigation applications to monitor Americans suspected of having listed Uh, to foreign intelligence or terrorism, had errors in their files, a Justice Department watchdog said. That's from the Wall Street Journal. In other words, they have found that a lot of these FISA uh, warrants are faulty. Of course, the uh, government abuses its power when it has them. I just want to play one final thing. Fauci says that Trump uh, handled this as well, as quickly as he could. And he also says, well, I won't play it because I'm running out of time. But, I, but he also says that the curve is dropping. The number of cases, uh, it, the rate of increase of the number of cases is dropping. That is a hopeful sign. We're looking at two bad weeks, I think, no matter what the computer models say. That obviously is going to be bad. We don't know how bad. You know, we don't, don't let the press make you hysterical about it. We don't know how bad it is. But this is it. This is the peak that we're going to see. And hopefully, as it goes down, Trump, a businessman, is going to let people start to go back to work. I think that has to happen. But always remember, even when you go back to work, save the Clavin. That's the most important thing you have to do. All right. When you're locked up, it is really easy to become a shaggy, smelly mess, right? Do not let that happen to you, especially if you've got a beard and a wife. I have a beard and a wife. I try to take good care of both, but I use beard supply. I used it this morning. If you lean very close to whatever you're listening to when you're listening to this show, you can smell my beard. If you did that, you're not smart enough to be listening to this show, but they've got some great stuff. Beard supply helps keep your beard healthy. It's free, soft, smelling great, and more than 10,000 beards agree. Beard supply products are the best out there. 10,000 beards can't be wrong. I, I really did use it this morning. It smells great. It makes your beard feel feel better. It keeps you from uh, getting an itch, which is always a problem. Each beard supply, beard oil is handcrafted from 100, 100% natural ingredients with no synthetics, no mass market essentials, no sulfates, and no paraffin. For a short time, Beard Supply is offering my listeners 25% off. Just go to beardsupply.com and use the promo code CLAVEN. Again, that's beardsupply.com. Use the promo code CLAVEN. Now, you may be scratching your beard and saying, how do you spell Clavin? Well, it's Clavin. <laughs> I don't know how they knew that. How did they know to do that? Uh, 
All Access. I will be on tomorrow. This is our All Access Live. It is for all subscribers. You've got to be a subscriber. Go to dailywire.com and subscribe. That will also get you into the mailbag so you can solve all your problems. But on All Access, <laughs> and, and you, can, you can sound like that when you, are, uh, when you get your answers in the mailbag. All Access is a relaxed setting. We just sit and talk to you. you. You can come on. If you're a subscriber, you can come on and ask questions. Just send us greetings. Say hello. We'd love to hear from you. I love to hear from you. I so prefer to just talking uh, myself. I really prefer, prefer to interact with you. Uh, and, uh, you know, we're all isolated. We're all sitting in, at home, sheltering in place. So All Access Live is a great way for us to get together. It was meant for All Access members. That's why we call it that. That's our top level of subscription. But during this time of isolation, we've opened it up to all our members. And in doing so, we've accelerated the launch. So let us know what you think. It's at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific. It'll be on tonight. Every night I'll be on uh, tomorrow. It's already Wednesday. Wow, this week is zipped by. Uh, that's it. We're on uh, pandemic time. Uh, so come, come on in and try All Access Live and then let us know what you think. We love hearing from you. All right. Mailbag coming up. Come to DailyWire.com and subscribe. Mailbag. Oh! <laughs> <laughs> Wait a minute. Who was that? Was that actually Lindsay? Uh, from Chuck. Uh, hey, Drew, with all of this coronavirus going on, I have noticed that I, I've had a certain amount of anxiety that gets to me at times. Chuck, that's just you. That's not happening to anybody else. What's wrong with No, I'm kidding. Of course, it's happening to everybody. I have experienced this in the past and was able to get over it pretty easily, but it has continued to weigh on me for the past few days as new information comes out. I was wondering if you had any advice on how to deal with this while we wait to see how all of this turns out. Love your show. Keep up the good work and stay safe. Save the Clavin. That's the most important thing. Yes, of course, Chuck, this is, is I'm kidding you. Obviously, this is happening to everybody. Everybody's anxious. Everybody is worried. Uh, all the news coming out and all this stuff. So, yeah, let me tell you about this. This is important. It's important to know how to manage anxiety in every situation and certainly in a crisis. And, you know, there's a, a line in the Bible. I'm going to quote it from memory, so I'll get it wrong. But the line is who by worrying can add even a minute to your life. It's something like that. In other words, you can't make your life any longer by worrying. It's deep wisdom because the important thing to remember about worrying it is, is something that is happening in you. It is a physical thing that is happening in you. It has no effect on the outside world. It doesn't mean worse things will happen. It doesn't mean better things will happen. It's not holding up the sky. It's not breaking down the sky. It's not doing anything. It is just physical chemicals happening in you. It is an emotion that you are having that may or may not have anything to do with the world outside you. Not one, you're not going to live a minute longer. You're not going to live a minute shorter. You're just going to be worried. That's the only thing. So if it's in you, you can deal with it from within. And if it's physical, you can deal with it by physical means. It is scientifically shown that deep breathing and learning how to breathe will help you with anxiety. This is absolutely true. It is also true. I mean, so, you know, that's a thing you can learn on any meditation site, on any breathing site, how, how you breathe. It, it affects your heart rate. It affects everything. And you can breathe out anxieties. While you're doing that, you can meditate. You can use, uh, you know, meditation to control to take things in and then let them out, let those worries out, let them go, let go of them. Uh, I've, I've had a sponsor of the Abide app for Christian meditation, which I find has been really, really helpful, really good. Uh, just even before this, I thought it was a really terrific thing. I'm not just giving them a free ad. I really liked it. Uh, but, but yeah, you know, meditation, uh, breathing especially, 
Exercise will help you bring down anxiety. Do not forget to exercise. I know you're, you may be locked up, but hopefully there's a place where you can take a walk. Hopefully you have a, a machine. Even if you don't have a machine, there are all kinds of apps that will give you uh, exercises that you can do. So exercise, breathe, and remember, this is a thing happening in you. It is not a reflection of the outside world. It has nothing to do with the outside world. It is happening inside you, and it's not going to change anything, so you might as well get rid of it. You know, people hold on to their anxiety because they think it's holding things together. They think, if I'm not worried, something bad will happen. If I don't, you know, this is one of the most ancient superstitions on earth. It is one of the most ancient superstitions in the human race that you have to worry to keep things from happening, right? Not true. Things will happen whether you worry or not. So let it go. All right. Uh, From Sean, dear Lord Clavin, I'm 26 years old. I graduated university two years ago and I have a mild motivation problem. I was hoping you could help me with. And by mild, I mean, it's absolutely crippling. To put it bluntly, I have none, no motivation. I want to do nothing but more of an abstract form of nothing because sitting around on the couch all day isn't appealing either. I seem to want to press pause on life and bring the space time continuing to a halt. Every time I've been able to make an effort towards moving my life forward, I find a way to not follow through. I've been torn for a few years between joining the police academy, attending law school. I have interest in both fields. However, when I decided to join the academy, I dropped out two days before it started. And when I decided to go to law school, I took a total of three prep LSAT prep classes and didn't study during any of them. I'm not depressed or suicidal. I very much enjoy life and I don't hate myself. Uh, be that as it may, it's clear my natural inclination to be a lazy bum has dug its claws in so deep to me that any attempt to move my life forward gets self-sabotage. All right. You're obviously, I read a lot of that because I wanted people to see that you're obviously a very intelligent, witty, charming uh, person, and you are using that intelligence and wit and charm to charm yourself uh, into a lie. Uh, the idea that you're not depressed is nonsense. Of course you are. Uh, you are probably a victim of some sort of trauma, uh, and that is what's affecting you, and you're using your wit and your intelligence and your charm to minimize that. I'll take a guess. This is a total guess. Never met you. All I know is what I just read. Uh, maybe you were bullied as a kid. Maybe your father was an alcoholic. Maybe your parents got divorced. Uh, those are three poss- just possibilities. If any of those three things are true, you're a trauma victim. Okay. And one of the things about being a trauma victim is that trauma, especially if you've been bullied or something like that, or if your father was unpredictable, uh, you you are afraid to show any weakness and you disdain weakness and you're afraid to lose. If you lose, uh, you know, when I when I was a kid, I got in a lot of fights with people who were bigger than me. And I was afraid to wrestle in gym because I was afraid if I lost, they would see that I was weak and they could get me. Okay. And that was ridiculous because I was a good wrestler. Right. But I was always, it always made me nervous to do it because you don't want to lose. If you've been bullied, you don't want to lose. You cannot face your own weakness. You can't face your own helplessness. You can't face your own fear. You hate yourself for being like that. I'm just, I'm not saying this is you. I'm just saying these are things that happen to people who've been traumatized. And so you don't want to try to do anything. You don't want to try to do anything because if you fail, uh, then the pain of failure is just going to be too great. And that's what it sounds like. Something like that is what's bothering you when you decide to go to law school and you don't study or when you decide to join the academy and you drop out right before. When you, like I said, you're a charming, intelligent guy. I can tell from your letter and you're using that charm and that uh, intelligence to minimize something that has happened to you and is bothering you. Here's what you do. Figure out what it is. Face it. 
either get help for it, go to a therapist and, and get help for it, or maybe just by facing it, you can wrestle with it yourself. But you need help because you don't want to waste your life. Your life does end. You know, life has a beginning, middle, and an end. You don't want to get to be uh, my age and find that you haven't done all the things that you do. It is very satisfying, trust me on this, at my age to look back and think, yeah, I kind of did what I set out to do, and now every, I'm, I'm playing with the house's money. You don't want to reach my age and suddenly think, oh, I didn't do anything because I was being so smart and charming. I didn't deal with the problems that I have. Little, little honest talk for you. Um, all right. Uh, from Patrick, dear Lord Clavin of the multiverse, I binge watched Tiger King on Netflix last weekend, and I thought it raised some interesting questions about owning exotic animals. Do you think uh, private citizens have the right to own exotic animals like lions or tigers as they do with regular pets, or should the government regulate it for the sake of protecting endangered species? Also, if you could own an exotic animal yourself, what would it be? <laughs> That's all it's, I see. They've got my my Tiger King outfit on. I appreciate that. It, it lo I look great with that hair. Um, <laughs> first of all, I have not yet seen Tiger King. I have watched the trailer because it is uh, incredibly funny. Of course you shouldn't own exotic animals like lions and tigers. Don't be stupid. It's stupid to do that. They eat people. They look at you and they see lunch. They're not your friends. They're not your pals. And what people do is they get them when they're babies and suddenly they throw them, throw them away or kill them. And of course it's cruel. And of course it shouldn't be done. They should be living the wild. I don't even believe in zoos anymore. Zoos made sense when nobody had seen these things, when we didn't have cameras. I don't think we should be putting animals in cages unless it's to study them. And then we should set them free. So I think animals get a, a bad deal from us. I think we should leave them alone, put them in their uh, out in their beautiful uh, preserves that they have in Africa where they can roam free and have the lives they're supposed to live. They just think you're lunch. They don't like you. They don't know you. If they get hungry, they will eat you. That's true of your dog, too. But dogs at least have been bred to be homegrown. If I could own an exotic animal, uh, what would it be? Um, you know, I'd probably have gnolls around to make me coffee and sandwiches. Uh, is he exotic? I don't know. That's like, <laughs> but you, I'm not sure he'd be worth owning uh, all that much. All right. <laughs> Dear Mr. Clayton, my girlfriend and I keep debating. Would you take that picture of me <laughs> debating over who is saved in terms of salvation in the Christian faith? She insists that non-Christians, even those who never had the opportunity to know Jesus, will be cast into hell. While I believe that people who are not within the Christian faith still have a chance to be saved. I will admit that I'm biased because I come from a secular family. I don't want to bear the thought of my family burning in hell for all eternity. Any insight you can provide on this would be greatly appreciated. Okay. Point number one, what you think, what I think, what your girlfriend thinks, you don't get a vote. We don't get a vote. We get zero votes, right? We get zero votes. Anything we're saying is absolutely random nonsense. It means absolutely nothing. There is only one vote, one big vote, one big vote on who is damned and who is saved, and we have no idea. We do not know. We know from the Gospels, it tells us, from the Bible, it tells us that you can only be saved through Jesus, but we don't know who can be saved through Jesus or how that happens or whether Jesus will save those who don't know his name or don't, uh, you know, who don't follow him. We know that um, when they say, when they talk about Jesus's name, they don't just mean the name Jesus. They mean the character of Jesus, the being of Jesus. When you, when Jesus says to pray in my name, he doesn't mean to say in Jesus name, I pray, which a lot of people do. What he means is to pray like uh, the best example I ever heard uh, was stop in the name of the law. That doesn't mean stop because I said the word law. That means to stop because I have the authority of the law behind me. And so when you pray in the name of Jesus, it means to pray in the character of Jesus. And so, um, and so you don't know. I'm on your side in this. 
I believe that those who don't believe can be saved. I believe you can live in Christ without knowing that you live in Christ, without knowing that that's what you're doing. But I don't get a vote either. And so stop worrying about it and worry about what you can do. All right, from Nancy. Dear Andrew, I subscribe solely so I could ask you this question. What are the first two syllables of the Hunky Dunky song, this theme song? Uh, by the way, is that you singing it? I think so. Uh, it is me singing it. <laughs> I, think I, I think I may be auto-tuned a little bit, but it is me singing it with some of the other Daily Wire staff uh, backing me up. The first two syllables are I feel. I feel hunky dunky. Life is tickety-boo. I feel hunky dunky. Yeah. I, I don't know why you couldn't uh, hear that. All right. Um, got time for one more um, from Katie. I love hearing you sing the praises of motherhood and the joys of a mother raising her children at home. I don't hear many people proclaim that like you do, even in the conservative southeast. Uh, my younger brother and his wife live in San Francisco and have a five month old baby girl. My sister in law had four months of maternity leave and returned briefly to work before being allowed to work from home during the current shutdown. But they're still using their nanny. My sister in law is such a natural mother, and I think it was difficult for her to return to work. Uh, they live in a crazy bubble where young cu- couples don't even consider the mom staying home. That is a real problem, and that is the left's fault. They did that. They created that bubble. Uh, I'm betting they couldn't live where they are on my brother's salary, but it breaks my heart to think of my niece missing out on her mother for most of her waking hours and for my sister-in-law to miss out on those precious baby days that are gone so quickly. The question, skipping over, the question is, uh, should I talk to them about it. Uh, Should I give them advice? Should I send them an article? You're afraid, she's afraid that she'll irritate her uh, brother and sister. And yeah, you shouldn't do that. That's not what you should do. If if you are in communications with them, uh, especially your sister-in-law, listen to her. Don't talk to her, listen to her. Uh, Hear what she has to say. uh, Ask her how things are going. If she brings this up, if she brings this up, you can ask questions about it. You know, she says, wow, I wish I didn't have to go back to work. You know, you can say, have you considered not going back to work? But if you just try, you know, you can you can get you have no power to change her mind. You have no power to convince her. Trying to convince her will make you feel good, but it won't do anything for her. But talking to her may help her understand better how she feels. And if she has no one to whom she can say those words, you being that person would be helpful. If he doesn't say them, don't draw them out of her. Just listen to her. Listen to what she says. And by asking questions, maybe you'll find that you have brought her to a place uh, that, that she has found the place inside her where she will do what she wants to do. But, but don't set out to convince her. Just set out to be her friend and listen to her and hear what she has to say. Maybe she feels she wants to stay home, but she can't. You have to let her live with that as well. And I completely agree with you. I think, I think people, pardon me, I think women have been talked into the worst possible choices. I think they've been talked out of their uh, femininity. I've been, I think they've been talked out of their own values. I think they've been told that everybody should be, a, that you're not successful unless you're a man, and you should feel bad about yourself if you don't behave like a man. I, I cannot believe the stupidity of that. I cannot believe that uh, women fell for it. I know why men fell for it, because it makes life easy, easier for them. But I think it's it's ridiculous. If feminism were about elevating female values so that they weren't disdained, as they have been at times in the past, I would be a feminist. I'm not a feminist because it's not about that. It's about women being like men, which I just think is uh, bad for the world, bad for women, bad for men, bad for everyone. I got to stop there, but I will be back again tomorrow. I'm Andrew Clavin. This is The Andrew Clavin Show.
Hey, if you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, give us a five-star review and also tell your friends to subscribe too. We're available on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Ben Shapiro Show, The Matt Wall Show, and The Michael Knoll Show. Thanks for listening. The Andrew Clavin Show is produced by Robert Sterling and directed by Mike Joyner. Executive producer, Jeremy Boring. Technical producer, Austin Stevens. And our supervising producer is Mathis Glover. Assistant director, Pavel Wydowski. Edited by Adam Saievitz. Audio mixed by Robin Fenderson. Hair and makeup is by Jessua Alvera. Animations are by Cynthia Angulo. Production assistants, McKenna Waters and Ryan Love. The Andrew Clavin Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2020. If you prefer facts over feelings, aren't offended by the brutal truth, and you can still laugh at the insanity filling our national news cycle, well, tune in to The Ben Shapiro Show. We'll get a whole lot of that and much more. See you there.